Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard from PewterReport.com. Joining me today to talk offensive line is going to be a very special guest, the one and only Brandon Thorne, who you have heard me talk about, who's been on the show. He was on during the draft to talk to us about Robert Hainsey. We've got a lot to talk about today. We'll start with some of these pro football focus grades and rankings for some of the Bucks offensive linemen that have recently come out. Man, I have some issues, with, not only with their offensive line, I'm going to start with another position because I am beside myself by some information I have just learned before starting the show today that I can't wait to dive into. We'll discuss that. Then we'll move to the offensive line. Brandon's thoughts on Ryan Jensen, on Robert Hainsey, on a lot of these Bucks offensive linemen, including Tristan Wirfs and his ascent uh, to what we believe is going to be the top of the league, what we can expect from Hainsey in year one, uh, just a lot with free agent contracts coming up uh, next offseason with Jensen and Kappa. What's the situation with them and where they compare to the rest of the league at their position groups? Lots to get into. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. I've got the orange sickle going once again here. The Bucks colors represented, but also, man, the taste. I love the orange sickle. It's honestly, it's. I've said it as many times before. Top five for me. No sugar in these things, man. No drop off. The energy they give you, the boost they give you to start your day. If you start it with a workout like I do mine, you know this is it's clutch stuff to have. Um, love the taste. I never thought that I would be drinking an energy drink, but here I am. Love the taste. And the Celsius heat line is one you definitely got to check out. So go to Celsius.com. You can, let me throw up these banners uh, so that you can kind of get that information in case you want to jot it down, but go over to Celsius.com or click on the banner ads over at pewterreport.com and you can purchase your Celsius that way as well. It's really, really good stuff from Celsius as always. Okay. We've got offensive line to talk about. But first, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and bring Brandon in for this part of the discussion. Brandon, let before I get all riled up, how are you, man? Thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, man. Anytime. I'm excited that you asked me to do this, and uh, you know, anytime I can have a platform talking with a friend about offensive line and <laughs> maybe getting some digs in on PFF, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the online trash talk comes out already. I love it. We do. I love the dudes over at Profile Focus. People know that. They listen to me. I love a lot of the information I can get over there. I praise a lot of the stuff that they do. But I am beside myself <laughs> about some of the positional rankings, Brandon. I got to go here before. I don't even know if you watch Devin White. But And people know oh, I've been the most critical of Devin White. I've said you know he's not quite there yet. People act like he's in the conversation for best linebacker in the league. That wasn't how he played last year. But the end of the year, he closed. He could be in that conversation by the end of next season. Absolutely. Pro Football Focus just dropped their off-ball linebacker rankings for this upcoming season. So not they're projecting ahead for this upcoming season. And Devin White is at 25 overall. He's behind Josie Jewell. Oh, no. Josie Jewell. I mean, you're a Broncos guy, Brandon. No, 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 no. How? No. I don't understand. Like yeah. Josie Jewell, Jalen Smith, Nick Kwiatkowski. Tremaine Edmonds even like if you're projecting ahead maybe you believe big things for Edmonds but it hasn't happened yet and he's played longer than Devin White I don't I can't I don't know where they're coming up with this yeah I mean you know I don't believe that probably Devin White's the best linebacker on his own team you know I right you, know, you, you may agree with that but uh right um but nonetheless like the impact that he has especially in the scheme he's in is like he does something on a borderline elite level, you know, and Josie Jewell, like blitz, you know, like him as a blitzer, him in yeah. pursuit, um, you know, those type of things are just, you know, kind of special. Uh, Josie Jewell doesn't do anything special. Uh, you Nothing. know what I mean? Like, so, you know, that's, a, you know, this kind of ties into the Jensen thing as well that we'll get into and kind of why I think that I have had some gripes with PFF in their process. And maybe you have and others is because, 
I don't think that they account for really the special enough. Um, and they look at, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they look at it from a big picture perspective, down to down consistency, you know, that that's very important, but man, when a guy is able to impact the game, you know, in, in, in one area at an elite level, as good, if not better than anybody else in the league, especially when right. it's something like blitzing uh, or, you know, in pursuit, you know, big hits, you know, th mm -hmm. these type of things that are, you know, they, they, they're emotionally charged type things that rally the team. And I don't know. I just feel like you can watch Devin white play football this past season and you could see, man, this dude, like he, while maybe in coverage, he's not the most aware and stuff like that. He, he certainly has some special ability that was taken advantage of. You know? Yeah, I mean, and I get like looking at his play last season as a whole, you know, the whole sample set, not valuing the end of the year, how he finished the year and saying he's not a top 10 linebacker. I think it's hard to do that when you're projecting ahead, which PFF has said that we're projecting ahead with these. Well, then you right. totally lose me. I don't, I, how is yeah. Devin White, the way he finished the season with his traits in his second year in the league, how is if you're projecting ahead, how do you not see that as a top 10 guy? You know, that's where I'm at. As critical of him as I was, I think he's going to be a top 10 linebacker in the league this year. But even yeah. if you're like it, looking at the large sample size, how do you – I mean, Jalen Smith could not find the football for most of last year with a metal detector and a basset hound and a compass. Like there's just <laughs> – I don't understand how you – I would rather you just not rank Devin White at all. Like the disrespect right. to having him on the top 32 and not higher than the, some of those guys – Oh, uh, to me, it's I can't. I know, it happens. It's like you know, you like I feel the same way about a lot of PFS stuff, especially now that they've gotten a little bit better with offensive line. I think it's like, you, you know, so much of it is like, oh, I could I can understand that even if I don't agree with it. But there's always this curveball where it's like, what, you know, like yeah. how is that even possible? And I, you know, there's still those still happen. I think. Like I said, I I love the information they gather. I love the process they go through for sure, and looking at the large sample sizes and everything, but. I, you just can't. I mean, everybody who watches knows that Devin White's better than those guys. And if you're projecting ahead, it's not even they're not even in the same yeah. conversation. So yeah. anyway, right. lost it about Devin White. That was right before I got on the show. I just happened to look at their linebacker rankings. I didn't realize they were even up yet. And I was just like blown away by that. Levante David's fourth, by the way, which is fine. OK, I'll, I'll squabble about that later. I think you could be higher, but still, yeah. you know, but Okay, let's talk about offensive line. Before we get into the PFF grades, which some are good and some are not, you know, for Bucks offensive line, some I agree with, some I don't. We'll start with one that I don't, and I know you don't either. But Ryan Jensen, you've watched – well, for, just tell people, you've watched – how much of Ryan Jensen have you watched? Have you watched every snap of this guy's career and what are just your thoughts on him in general? Yeah, not quite every snap, but, you know, I started watching him in Baltimore. That's when I mm -hmm. became a fan. You know, before I met him, before I was able to be around him at Offensive Line Masterminds, I was putting Jensen videos out left and right because I loved the way he played. He was kind of like a guy um, who just, you know, he had the edge that he does now, but he was yep. very raw. You know, you right. could tell that he was coming from Division Two. Um, you know, play, he played left tackle in Division Two, and, you know, got by with pure, like, grit. You know, he just was, mm -hmm. like, tough and nasty. That's how he got by. He was undersized. So he got to Baltimore as, I, I believe, a seventh-round pick and used that as kind of his foundation while he developed his skills. And now I think the last two seasons he's developed to, to an extent where I believe he has a very strong case to be considered the best center in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of went out on a limb and said that he has been the last couple of years. Uh, last year I think I had, I had him as a second-team All-Pro um, so, you know, last year I didn't think he was quite the best, but in that conversation, you know, like an elite player because of the things that he does well. So that's how I feel about him. The last two years I have watched every snap. Um, and you know, I haven't watched every snap of every center. I don't think, you know, I'll ever be able to get to that point as one person, yeah. but I have watched, uh, you know, a lot of Rodney Hudson, I've watched a lot of Ryan Kelly, a lot of Frank Ragnow. You know, I, I tend to focus on like the top 10 at each position on the offensive line and focus on that category of player. And then I keep an eye out for guys who are entering that territory and then I watch them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I have a pretty good grip on the centers in the NFL and I yes. love centers too. So yeah. that's like my favorite position on the line to watch probably. So I just, I watch a lot of them. Um, and yeah, I, I feel very strong about Jensen and we can get into why. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why I want to know. I mean, I've got a question here lined up from somebody, but before I get to it, I think it's a good question. Uh, but before I get to it, 
I, you know that I grew that I am closer to where you are than certainly where your profile focuses yeah. on him, which we'll talk where, about. I didn't second. see their center rankings. So they, where they, oh you're are you are you ready this early in the show? Like, do you want me to tell you this? <laughs> Let's uh, just say this, Brandon. If you go through the top 10 centers in the NFL, you won't find Ryan Jensen's name on this list. He's at, in there at number 11, uh, based off uh, last season going into this upcoming season. So we'll talk about that in a second. I don't know how you get there for sure. But okay, that's concerning indeed. (laughs) But here's the thing that I want to ask you. What is it that makes you so bullish on Jensen? Not only just in terms of not only just being good, but you're saying best center in the league. What is it that brings you to that conclusion when you watch him compared to other guys in the league? Where does he have that edge? Um, All right. Well, I think with his game, you know, I was just watching more of his film today, just the highlight tape I put together and, I think the best way to to say what I want to say about him is just to put together what I did for my for my uh, website and just have people watch him. Um, yeah. Because when you watch the sheer number of times that he is putting guys on the ground, no center is comparing to him. I don't know if PFF tracks knockdowns. I don't believe that they do. Um, but that's something that I would be very interested to track just as another data point to track for effectiveness of offensive line play, because I yeah. do think that there's, you know, some, some value there. Um, and you know, how much is it, you know, a whole another thing that you want to, you know, how much you want to value that. But to me, when you watch Ryan Jensen play his ability to impose his will on defenders, tilt them, create imbalances in their base and then put yes. them in the ground it's just unparalleled. Like he is, and he's doing it to Kenny Clark. He's doing it to Deron Payne. He's doing it to Michael Brockers. He's doing it to all these guys. He's putting them in the ground and like, you know, (laughs) having dominant reps against them. I would Mm -hmm. challenge anybody to find any center that who is, who is putting, you know, high level interior defensive linemen on their back anywhere near the rate that Ryan Jensen has over the last two seasons. Um, and that's not counting linebackers and DBs who he obliterates. Um, you know, so it's like that to me is very valuable because mm-hmm. the level of competition factor, um, you know, and I think that's really important. And then he also is just very consistently, um, you know, refined or uh, reliable in pass protection. Yeah. I believe he very rarely misses an assignment. And when he does, it's because he's being asked to cover like two gaps over and he just mm-hmm. can't get there in time. Uh, right. stuff like that. You know, he's very good about keeping the a gaps clean. He's very, you know, reliable in that sense on a down to down basis, uh, from what I can tell. And as a run blocker, I think he's very good. Um, you know, he can yeah. create movement in the downhill vertical duo type of system that Tampa runs. He can get out in space effectively and be an asset that way. So I like, he's a diverse run blocker with a really good skill set, And he's like, I think a dominant pass protector mm-hmm. uh, at this point. And that was something that I thought that he was weakest at in Baltimore, but now it's like reversed. And he's, yes. I think he's just become a really good pass blocker, man. And that, that to mm-hmm. me, all that stuff is why I think he's the, the, you know, the most impactful center in the NFL. Right. Okay. Now, I completely agree with everything you said. Here is the kicker for a lot of people. Some people are frustrated by not they. I think generally Ryan Jensen is very highly thought of in, in the Tampa Bay fan base. These are, they're big fans of him for the most part, but they are thrown off by the snaps. And and Bucks time brings up a good. How can Jensen be the best center in football when he has an inconsistent snap and Brady has to reach down to the ground to pick up snaps? And some other people mentioned that snapping is still a, a big part of this, and it's part that we were so elementary. And and there were obviously so few balls on the ground because. Brady was so good at fielding them when they were off target, even that yeah. we, we tend to brush past it. But I think it's worth bringing up and mentioning, how do you evaluate that part of it for him? I mean, do you look at it as kind of just the larger sample size, obviously, of the whole season says it's not a big issue and we only notice when it's an issue. We don't even we go right past all the you know hundreds of plays that there's a, just a perfect snap. Uh, but we only notice when it's an issue. And obviously, you know, it should be an issue most of the time. So how do you evaluate that when you look at Jensen, compare him to the rest of the league? You see more off target snaps. And is that a part of your evaluation? To be honest, it's more of a blind spot for me. It's something that I don't I don't, I mean, I notice it. I've seen Brady. I think I posted a Twitter clip or two of Brady, like making an incredible one-handed grab, you know, of a snap that's, you know, a little bit off target. 
-hmm. So I noticed those. It's just I haven't noticed them to the point where I think it's a detriment to the team, you know, where I mean, you know, and I don't notice it, I guess, with a lot of other centers either. So I, I would I would venture to say that I, I'm assuming Jensen's I'm assuming PFF tracks accuracy of snaps and Jensen's rate of inaccurate snaps is higher than the others. Um, you know, and I, you know, I'll just concede that point and just say, okay. Um, but you know, everything else that he does, I think is so much better than pretty much every center in the league. There's a couple guys that I think are very close in terms of when you just look at pass protection, run blocking, you know, just those two factors, when you're comparing just those two things, I think guys are close and you can make arguments for other guys being the best, but I think to have him outside the top 10 or outside the top five, even is just for what he does. Well, I feel like it just so much outweighs, even if his rate of inaccurate snaps is higher than everybody else's. I still right. feel like the stuff he does well is just, it's just too great to ignore um, yeah. or overlook, you know? And, and Bucks time clarifies. I do love Jensen for sure. You know, and that's how most Bucks fans feel, I think, but there were, yeah. there were decent, a number of snaps throughout the year that I think were a little bit off target. Brady handled it so cleanly that it, it honestly didn't end up having. I mean, you probably remember the one you probably re- do remember, and maybe that you posted was the Washington game in the playoffs. You know, they're on that second and long, and the snaps way off to the left. There's low and off to left, and he snags it, catches it. Ali Marpet gets beat, which is a rarity too, and he throws deep to Evans right on the money. You know, and they convert a huge. It's one of the biggest play in the game, probably. Um, and uh, that was one where it really started to stand out to people. But that had kind of happened throughout the year. And again, like they handled it so easily that, you know, it wasn't a big de- deal. Um, and, right, right. And like you said, it's hard to know, like when it doesn't, you know, did it negatively impact the team? No, how much of that was on Brady? But then also there's all these positives too. And the human brain has a stronger response to negatives too, which muddies the whole thing. <laughs> I would ask for those same people who noticed the snaps. Did you notice when Chase Young bailed out because he was scared <laughs> of Jensen? Did you notice the rep where he put Deron Payne on his back and like, dominated him i mean did you notice these things and then did you play it against that errant snap and then how do you feel you know what i mean because it's like i get it but then i don't and it's like you know i don't know because it's not like any like multiple centers in the league i don't think are scaring chase young off Mm -hmm. and people say oh he might have been reading screen maybe but it to me it looked like he was like saying no thanks i'll just go to the next rep you know, I'm not going to deal with that, you know, and then Deron Payne just got like just obliterated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was expecting the rep to be over when he was on his knees. Mm-hmm. And Jensen, of course, the reps never over mm-hmm. until the rep, the ref almost prized you off of him. So we put him on his back. And so I, I, you know, but yeah, so to me, I would just ask, like, you know, notice those things. And that's why yeah. I like, you know, put pointing those things out, because mm-hmm. those things, I don't even think anybody noticed that clip. You know, since that game occurred, you know, and it just just goes by the wayside Mm -hmm. while the Aaron snap gets put into the spotlight by PFF. It's like, you know. Got away, it got away everything. That's that's what PFF saying they're trying to do, and that you know, and I'll read you what PFF says about it uh, in a second here. But uh, Josh also brings up a good point here. He cut down on the penalties too, which helped his game, but he didn't lose his edge. He can, so he found that ground that you need to right. That I mean, you love the finishing, but. You have to help your team out too by finding that middle ground and that that, that balance, right? I will throw another positive. He's he's played a hundred percent of snaps every season over the last four prior yeah. to last year, where he went. He played ninety nine percent of snaps. Mm-hmm. I don't think any center in the league has played has been available for his team as consistently mm-hmm. as Ryan Jensen has over the last four years. That's big, and that matters a lot to Jason Light and Ryan Jensen. Obviously, in a contract year, uh, Jason Light cares a lot about the consistency in the trenches for sure. So that will be an interesting part of the the conversation surrounding Jensen when the season's over, or if it's a conversation in the season or something like that. Um, but there will be a, a lot of that for sure. Okay, uh, we're going to move on from Ryan Jensen. I promise we got other guys to talk about, but I just I'm going I'm to give you the list. Okay, here's Pro Football Focus. All right, Rodney Hudson number one, Corey Lindsley number two. Frank Ragnow, number three, J.C. Treader, number four, Jason Kelsey, number five, Brandon Linder from Jacksonville, number six, Ben Jones from Tennessee, number seven. This is where it starts to lose you maybe a little bit. Uh, number eight is Eric McCoy from the Saints, really good young player. Ryan Kelly uh, from the Colts is number nine. 
and Chase Rallier from Washington is number 10. And then Ryan Jensen, number 11. And Jensen, it says, Jensen plays the game the way you want from an offensive lineman. He's an enforcer who consistently looks for opportunities to introduce his man to the ground. That shows up in his top five run blocking grade on gap runs over the past two seasons. Jensen's overall PFF grade did take a noticeable step back from 2019 to 2020, though. That was almost entirely due to his pass protection performance as he allowed nearly twice as many pressures in 2020 at 27 pressures as he did in 2019, 15 pressures on fewer pass blocking snaps. I, I don't necessarily always see those pressure rates the same way. I mean, first of all, what is a pressure? Is it how close do you have to be to the quarterback? Are you off to the quarterback side, reaching your hand out around a guy and like trying to scrape at the ball? Like, well, is that the quarterback's fault? Could he, should he be a foot up? in the pocket are you putting that on jensen you know did somebody else miss mess up their assignment now jensen's in recovery mode because they didn't communicate i mean there's just so many all as i know is i watch every single game this season and ryan jensen was not a liability in pass protection at all not to the point where you should be 11th in the nfl and centers on this list yeah yeah i agree I, those, <laughs> now you're mad <laughs> i mean some of those names it's hard to you know reconcile to me like once you get to jc treader to me that's where it gets like yeah. you, you, you can, you know, I can hear cases for the other guys, but projecting, even projecting Corey Lindsley to be better, I, I get the appeal. He's totally a PFF guy, and it's funny because I used to love Corey Lindsley back in the day, 2014, 2015. I was like, man, this dude's really good in outside zone. He's quick. He's efficient. Now he's very consistent. Uh, he, he had a, the best year of his career last year, but I don't know. That one's even tough to me to project. I. The only thing that will hold Jensen back next year to me is injury. If um, you know, because obviously the way he plays the game, the wear and tear, the the shelf life, that's the question. You know, is it going to fall off? You know, when is that going to happen? When is he not going to be able to deal with the injuries he's already dealt with as well as he has? Uh, because he's dealt with some serious stuff um, that some people may not realize. Uh, but mm -hmm. You know, so that's my question with the projection thing, why I would have pause and why I may have other guys. If I were to do a list like that, maybe I would have Jensen projected as like a top three, top five center. Um, but at, for the 2020 season, I thought he was the best. And 2019, I thought he had a very strong argument to be. Right. Absolutely. No, I agree. And, and we'll jump into some of these other Bucks offensive linemen. But first, want to mention our friends over at Symbol. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. Use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 2,000 plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. The stock market for sports is just a tap away Create a free account in seconds and start profiting from your sports knowledge today with our friends over at Symbol. Definitely worth checking them out, checking out what they have to offer. All right, Brandon. I mean, we've got a Bucks offensive line now that is largely considered amongst the best in the league. There was some uncertainty going into this past season. A lot of that uncertainty revolved around the offensive tackle position. People just, how fast is it going to happen for Tristan Wirfs? Is Donovan Smith going to be the low Donovan Smith? The, you know, the when we've seen Donovan Smith play better, it can be pretty. He can put together some good performances um, like he did down the stretch last season. It's never been that consistent with him. You never know when the rep's going to come that, that that's rough. Uh, but people did, but he, he got better again last season. Tristan Wirfs, obviously, you know, near the top of the league. Um, pro football focus kind of groups these tackles together, right and left side. I know you probably have some thoughts on that, maybe too. They've already got Tristan Wirfs as the number six offensive tackle in the league. Before we get to Donovan Smith, thoughts on that? You've obviously look at the groups, you stack them up, you you know right left side. Just thoughts on Wirfs and where you consider kind of his plausible range to be. Man, I mean, I thought Tristan Wirfs was the best right tackle in the NFL last year. Uh, you know, from week one to the, to the end of the year, just you know, and largely because. Well, traits wise, you know, it's his anchor, it's his play strength. You know, those two things I think are really special. And, um, you know, the performances that he had against elite level competition, you know, that that to me was enough for me to, you know, go out and say a rookie was the best player at his position in the league because he was just dominating, you know, all pro level players. Um, so or at least playing very well against them, maybe not dominating all of them. Khalil Mack being an example where. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he got the better of him a couple of times. 
but still performing, you know, pretty well against him, yeah. um, especially considering how often he's one on one versus these guys right. uh, as well as, you know, compared to other tackles in the league. Um, I think that's important. I have yeah, that's a big thing. Sorry to jump yeah. in there, but that's I think that's a huge point you just made that people don't realize there are differences in schemes. I remember way back when Jack Conklin was a rookie, and you and I talked a ton about yeah. this. We we talked about how you know there were and the PFF was one of the places I think that were kind of going crazy about Jack Conklin's rookie season. And you and I were kind of trying to help people point out like he, I'm not saying he's not playing well, but you have to look at the full context for a lot of these offensive linemen. He was getting a ton of help in that scheme, and when that stopped happening, his play or his grades, I should say, started to decline. His play kind of always was what it, what it was at that point in time. Now, he's a, he's a good tackle, and I'm sure he's gotten better, and there's no doubt about that, but the thing that stood out to me about Wirfs is this team didn't help. Like The Bucs didn't like, oh, we're going to scheme to give Tristan Wirfs help all the time. I mean, even from week no. one, he's out there like <laughs> rocking and rolling against Cam Jordan, and they're like, you got to block him. That's it. Yeah, that's huge because I think PFF, I believe, is very high on Braden Smith. That's just a not name that comes up. I think that they've consistently Colts, graded him. Colts right tackle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he gets a lot of help in that scheme. It's just he's playing almost a different position than Tristan Wirfs in some ways, especially as a pass protector. It's just different. You know, it's just it's just way different. Now, granted, there's the other side of that. There's the Tom Brady effect, you know, that I think has played a large role in making Donovan Smith, for instance, look as good as he did last year. And to some extent, making Tristan Wirfs look as good as he did, because, you know, the fact of the matter is Tom Brady's the best guy in the league. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in terms of pocket presence, manipulating the pocket, those subtle little movements to avoid pressure and, you know, uh, pressure points in the pocket and stuff. He's just mm -hmm. so good at that and delivering the ball on time, all that. So that's a factor in Tristan Wirf's valuation, I think, across the league. But if I'm projecting right tackles, I think it's him, Ryan Ramchek, Lane Johnson. Those are the three best right tackles in the league in my mind. Um, you know, that's assuming that, you know, Ramchek is going to be back to more of his normal self because I think he dealt with a lot of injury last year. And then obviously Lane Johnson was hurt, but I still think those are the three guys in the league. And then it's everybody else, you know, um, then you could start getting into more nuanced discussion of right tackles in the NFL. That's kind of my cutoff of like tier one. I'm just looking at all the starters right now. And I just can't put anybody really on that level. I'm very interested to see Trent Brown, if he's playing right tackle this year, which I think he is. I think he's probably one of those guys, Lael Collins, if he's back to that 20, uh, 2019 mm -hmm. version of himself, that might be my top five um, right tackle list. And then you get into guys like Jack Conklin. And, uh, you know, I think I still think Jawan Taylor could be really good. And um, Thank there's, you, you know, Brian Balaga. <laughs> Yeah, we got some we got some Gators fans in the chat. I think they're excited. You know, they're hopeful that <laughs> Jawan Taylor turns things around. I was a big fan of Taylor coming out. It has not happened. I'm I'm not usually too far off on the O line, man, but he has not been kind to me. <laughs> his play, I thought so he I was hope pretty good his rookie year. Yeah, okay. And then last year, yeah. I know I just know uh, from what I a little bit I saw, and then people kind of saying he just really seemed to struggle. But yeah, he I, he kind of plateaued. He didn't really yeah. make a jump. But I, okay. I still am encouraged by him for sure. He's okay. so young, and you know. Good. Well, the Gators fans will be happy, but yeah, Josh Allen, good point. He held Bosa to under 10% win rate. Uh, Callum wants to know kind of where you grade Werfs against all the other rookie O-line of last year. A lot of good rookie offensive linemen last year. It sounded like from the way you were kind of ranking him across the league that you'd probably put him tops amongst the rookies last year. Yeah, for sure. And and you were, and there was impressive other guys. I mean, Makai Becton was great. Oh, yeah. Jedrick Wills was great. I mean, uh, Michael, Michael Wainu. Yeah. yeah. There's a good, good group, and he's still tops yeah. among that group. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Just for all the reasons we already said. Right, right. Okay, so Donovan Smith, you mentioned you think Brady is helping him look better. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Uh, I think he has gotten better. I think he's picked yeah. and chooses moments, kind of when we've talked about that two handed punch he has. It's kind yeah. of an all or nothing thing, right? Like he tries yeah. to kill guys and sometimes it works and it's great. And he just, you know, halts guys in their tracks and sometimes he gets beat in 0.5 seconds and right. it's trouble mode for the quarterback. So just your thoughts on his game. You've seen him this season. Did you think that he yeah. did take a little bit of a step? Did anything get better with him? Yeah, I think exactly what you said, learning when to, you know, throw that kind of signature move of his, you know, that's like his go-to when he wants to, you know, um, like kind of not throw off a rusher, but if he really needs, you know, to, to stop a guy on a critical down, I think he used to rely on that too often and became a little too predictable. And I think last year he, he added a little bit more variance um, and I think that helped him. So that was always his biggest thing was he was just so, 
just hot and cold with his technique in pass protection, um, you know, and now I think it's a little bit more in the middle um, and, you know, it's, it's just weighing that. I, I do think that there's improvement there, but then I also think the Brady thing has probably helped him more than anybody else, but it's helped everybody, you know, uh, you know, right. it, just, it just helps the whole line. But yeah, I do think that he's gotten better and it's, it's been fun to watch because he's always been so talented uh, yeah. just the way he can move at his size and his strength power. He's always had all that stuff. It's just been a technique thing. So. Right. No, it's I, I was encouraged by him last year, especially his play down the stretch. And one thing I think that really got kind of – I think it was when I started last year and I was kind of going into week one, it was kind of this – for some reason there was this kind of, oh, 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 he's soft, you know, he's not tough. And I, I really pushed back against that. I think that he's very he's very physical dude. Um, yeah. He gets after people on the field, sometimes to his detriment. Uh, as we've said, he's get overly aggressive. And, and kind of swing and miss a little bit as a blocker, it can be it can be a problem. His technique goes out the window. But in terms of his mentality, I think he's plenty aggressive. And also, we're talking about a tough dude. I think he earned a lot of people's respect when he played. I think it was that Chiefs game. Showed up to the stadium in a boot and was like, I'm not sure if I can go. And sided then before the game, he's like, I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to try and grind this thing out. And it played really a pretty good game, um, all things considered, in that situation. So I think he earned some respect from Bucks fans. He's obviously been kind of the brunt of a lot of jokes for a lot of years in Tampa Bay, and now on his third contract in Tampa Bay, they keep bringing him back. And I think they know the market out there would be pretty hot for him if he hit the if he hit the open market as a free agent. But yeah, definitely uh, a player that is very intriguing. Pro Football Focus did not rank him in their top thirty-two tackles in the league. They're combining left and right, okay. um, so he didn't he didn't make that ranking. I mean. I, I'm, I'm not totally upset with that, but there's a couple guys, you know, to get down here near the Alejandro Villanueva. I mean, I don't know. I watched him last year. He seemed like he struggled a little bit. There's yeah. some guys I might squibble with at the end of the list, but nothing yeah. as egregious as Jensen or or Devin White's ranking. Yeah, combining it is an interesting way of doing it because I, I still prefer separating it because I really do look at them as different positions, even though the value is pretty much the same. Right. Um, just because if you, you can't just put a right tackle, a left tackle and expect them to be the same player. They're different. You know, yeah. some guys, yeah, but I'd say the majority probably, you know, you, it just won't happen. Um, so to me, they're just different positions, but I, I, I get, you know, why you would do that, but at, cause the value of them is the mm. same, but they're just, they're just different positions. I look at left guard and right guard as different positions. I mean, you know, that's why when I talk about maybe guard rankings, you know, and stuff like that, I try to be specific and say for his position. And what I mean by that is like his side, because that's how I like to think of it still. Um, but yeah. So another interesting point, I think, about Donovan Smith's rise in the second half of the year was the drop in competition. Um, you know, if you look at the edge rushers that he faced from like week nine on, on that side, Tristan Wurst was seeing typically the better edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that now I, I think, uh, what was it week 10 against Carolina, Brian Burns. I'm pretty sure he played that game. So like, that's a guy that Smith saw a little bit uh, from what I remember. But other than that, the rest of those games, I mean, Vikings, Falcons, Lions, Rams. I mean, they have nobody, you know, like that's a threat, you know, Leonard Floyd's playing over the right tackle. Most of the Mm -hmm. time Atlanta didn't have anybody. Detroit had Aquara, but he plays, I think he kind of mixes it up a little bit, but, Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'd be one, but Minnesota maybe had the worst D line in the league. Right. Um, you know, so that's part of it as well. Right. And then in the playoffs and you got in the playoffs and maybe it got a little bit better. Chase Young, that matchup was circled by a lot of people and you know he definitely did some really good things in that game. Didn't yeah. wasn't perfect against Young, but did some really good things yeah, uh, in that game. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I thought, yeah, it really answered the bell. I mean, he was, you know, he felt like Chase Young had called out the box and you know, obviously I think Chase Young, I love what he did, but you know, I think that's Donovan Smith's mentality and he took it seriously and, it was good to see him play well in that game specifically. For sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex Kappa. I mean, this is a guy that people were not sure if he was going to be even a starter going into the last season. There, You know, it was big question mark on the line. I mean, he, he played very poorly as a rookie. Then kind of uh, when he got in there, then you know, kind of moved up a little bit this, the, you know, in 2019, but it was still a big question mark. And then, I mean, no sacks allowed in 2020. I mean, pro football focus even – is giving him a, a good bit of love. I don't know how you know where you kind of see him across the league, but I believe they ranked him as the 27th offensive guard in the league. So grouping left and right guys together. So 64 starters, he's 27th. I look at some of the guys ahead of him on this list, and I don't watch quite as much as you do, probably. But I'm like, I don't know if 
I don't know if Greg Van Roten or Mark Glowinski are better than Alex Kappa right now, or, you know, Robert Hunt. I'm not sure if I'd put those guys ahead of him, but just kind of your thoughts on Kappa and his development. Yeah. Those three names, I probably wouldn't put above him. So maybe yeah. he's top 25, you know, uh, <laughs> at that point, Yeah, you know, and then I don't, I, I didn't see the list, but yeah. yeah, I mean, Alex Kappa initially as a rookie, even I know, you know, he, he had some glaring losses, but I think you could see that, you know, this guy could be pretty good even when he was in the, in the time that he did play that season, um, which wasn't, you know, a, a whole lot. I think he played, you know, oh, he played very little that season actually. Um, yeah. But, you know, just getting a little glimpse of him was nice. And then 2019, that's when you started to see him string together some performances and some reps even where like really eye catching reps were the things that he was able to do in college at such a high level, which I thought was always the way that he was able to use his hands and frame up blocks, create mm-hmm. leverage and then sustain that leverage through attempted counter moves and stuff like that by mirroring the rusher and just the ability to like sustain blocks with, you know, really good hands. Yeah. I thought was something he did at such a high level in college and he wasn't able to do that at very consistent level as a pro because he just wasn't strong enough. I thought and maybe not didn't have the right amount of uh, size or the right build um, to really sustain that. But I think as he's gotten stronger, we've been able to see his technique shine through and he still makes mistakes. He still is a young developing player with a lot of room to grow. But to me, you know, when you're when you're stacking it, he, he might be a top 25 overall guard. I haven't stacked it exactly you know yet uh but i think that that's probably that sounds about right to me and you know for being so young and only a two-year starter really uh you know coming off a year where you didn't miss a snap um he's obviously a guy who plays through injury and you Mm -hmm. know brings that whole he fits right into kind of that Mm -hmm. that interior is pretty special in tampa (laughs) and you know him being the weak link isn't really a knock on him you know he's He's a young developing guy who I think right. does some things really well. And I'm encouraged by uh, you know, what he can be in the future. That's what's crazy is that you know, three years in, I, I still think he can keep getting better. Like, yeah, I, I don't I don't say that very lightly. I tend to believe players to max out a little bit quicker than we think they will, but because Kappa had to change his body physically, then learn to play with that body and right. has shown trajectory upward for three straight years. Yeah. And really, I think was playing his best football even toward the end of last year. I mean, he was not credited with giving up a sack. I know that can be an overrated statistic, but you go through a whole season in an offense like this one, <laughs> as much as yeah. they throw and drop back and you don't give up a sack. I mean, obviously, there's a testament to Brady there, too, who's incredible. But you still got to give guys. I mean, you, uh, you and I watch him, too. So we have the context of the tape and we know, like, I'm not saying it's he never got beat, but to not give up a sack, you know, is indicative of a lot of growth for him, for sure. Um Thought he played a really, really great season. If he can come back from that broken ankle that he suffered against Washington, which, by the way, you mentioned the toughness, tried to stay in that game. I asked Tom Brady about that the last year during the presence. I was like, did Kappa really try to stay in that game with the broken ankle? I mean, that's – and it was – I mean, man, it was uh, – Brady was like, yeah, that's what he basically tried to do. We didn't even know what happened at first, and then he couldn't stand. <laughs> and so we were like, you got to get this guy off the field. And they ended up having to use a timeout, but he was really going to try and gut it out and stay out there. In 2019, he didn't he have an elbow or something? Yep. That he, I think he finished yeah. the game with a broken arm, I believe. Right, some, right. Something in the chat probably remembers. But um, yeah. And yes, Josh Allen remembers the number one vote getter at right guard for the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Put some respect on his name. That's right. I forgot about that. It was like, here's all the players that are leading the voting in the Pro Bowl for each position. And then it was like all these household names. And then it's like Alex Kappa easily winning the guard vote because he's at the really? top. Of the I didn't alpha. even know that. Yeah, he's at the top of the alphabet. And so fans oh. don't even click through the guards. <laughs> so he was, I mean, the whole way, I think he finished the voting. I think he was the top vote getting right guard amongst fans. Wow. Yeah, so he was, uh, yeah, Pro Bowl's favorite Alex Cap. I don't think he got the players or the coaches vote quite for one of those top spots, but still had a really good year. All right, the prize of the offensive line is Ali Marpet. He's the one. He's you know, I mean, Werfs could surpass him here, and maybe he already has as the best offensive lineman on this team. Um, but Marpet. And and Pro Football Focus's eyes, the number six guard in the league. They're grouping left and right together as well here. 
They write the best advertisement for how good Marpet is and was in 2020 was what happened to the Tampa Bay offensive line when he got injured. Can't right. attest to that. Uh, his absence almost threatened to derail their season. As his replacement, Joe Haig, surrendered as many pressures in a single game, the nightmare against the Saints, which I said afterward on the podcast, it's hard to put a loss on a left guard, but Joe Haig did his damnest to put that loss on himself because it was rough. Um, as Marpet had in the first half of the season in total, the former second-round pick had nine perfect games of pass protection, including the playoffs. Uh, Marpet had some bumps in the road when he came back. He wasn't quite yeah. as good. First half of the year, I think you could put him up against any guard in, in football. Came back from the concussion. I think the Chiefs game was a rougher one for him. Finished the year playing fine for the most part. No no issues with pass pro. Even the playoffs, I think he was quite enough, but still, I mean, a real, we're, we're definitely, you know, picking and choosing some bad moments if we're going to rip Ali Marpet because he, this guy's a stud. Yeah, for sure. He, he, last year, I thought was, you know, I, I thought the prior two or three years were better um, mm. than, than last year, probably. Uh, for me, I just saw him lose, at, you know, more often than we typically do see him uh, lose reps, specifically in pass protection. But, you know, projection wise, he would probably be, if you're looking at left and right, I think definitely a top five or six guard. And I'd probably mm. go top three. Um, because there's guys coming back from injury that you don't know what are, they're going to look like. Brandon Brooks, uh, I'm very interested to see how he looks coming back from his injury. Mm-hmm. Zach Martin even, I want to see. Last year was the first time we ever saw chinks in his armor over the last like six, seven years. Right. So, you know, I want I want to see how he looks. Um, Richie Incognito, I want to see like, is this wild dude who's <laughs> – 39 years old is he going to be dominant like he was in 2019 or no so th- those three names are kind of wild cards yeah. so for me it's marpet quentin nelson and even wyatt teller I, I, those guys to me you know if you're projecting those are probably be the three names i start with and it'd be really tough to not put zach martin above him as well right. because but like that's that's the territory he's in you know top four or five overall guard in the league six like they have him worst case but i'd probably mm-hmm. you know maybe bump it up a little bit right they've got ahead of him brandon scherf who i know you, you like as well but uh yeah. joel batonio from cleveland joe tooney joe tooney from kansas city and then uh yeah. zach martin and quentin nelson uh are two and one i guess in that way okay so, yeah that's, that's, so some of the, that range i guess somewhere but yeah i mean i i hear brandon brooks is eight for them and obviously the injury why tell her nine maybe just you want to see it from multiple years from Wyatt Teller. Yeah, I, I, I get that one. But, man, he was so freaking good. <laughs> I mean, he, when he didn't play against Pittsburgh and then when he did play, like I said, you wouldn't think a left guard makes that much of a difference. But, man, sometimes sometimes the player is good enough or bad enough in Joe Egg's case that, that it did. Um, so, right. yeah, interesting stuff about the offensive line as a whole. You know, you look across the league, and I know you watch a lot of these offensive lines. Where do you see the Bucks offensive line? Is this the can we say this is the best offensive line in the NFL with a straight face? Is that is that where they're at at this point in their growth and development as a group? I think you definitely can. I mean, I I'm going to rank offensive lines for establish the run uh, for the mm, third okay. year in a row now. Uh, I'll probably do it in August, so I haven't really dug into it super deep yet, but. You know, they're certainly in the conversation for best in the league. And if I think if you say that, you know, there, there's no like, you know, major, you yeah. know, uh, you know, argument against that or anything like that. So I they're, they're going to probably be, you know, without looking at it in depth, I, I still think it's probably safe to say they'll probably be a top three offensive line for me coming mm-hmm. into 2021. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, there's so many variables to consider. You mentioned Brady being obviously one of them. And that is a big part of it for sure. But Still think just watching them over and over again throughout the season, the growth that a lot of these guys show, the fact that Werfs is playing as well as he is, as young as he is. I mean, it's not crazy to say, Brady aside, that you know, you t- you're talking about a guy that two, three guys that could be in the conversation and Marpet Jensen and Werfs for the best player in their position in the league every single right. year. I mean, so right there, I mean, everything, you know, year to year, there's little spikes and got, you know, top five fluctuate, and that's just how the league is and situations and context and matchups, and it all changes enough that. It's hard to say one guy's always, you know, but those guys are always, they're in that conversation every year, I feel like. And so you got that and you've got two other guys that are ascending players getting better in Donovan Smith and Alex Kappa. It's hard to kind of, I don't know, dismiss that. 
last thing I wanted to ask you about was just Robert Hainsey. I mean, we asked you about him on the draft show, Brandon, but yeah. that was that's a big thing for for Bucks fans, I think, because it's like okay, we have a Kappa and Jensen as free agents after this year. We'll see what happens. Everybody hopes they're back, but it's unlikely both will be back. And you would think maybe Jensen on a one or two year extension could be back, and Cap is the guy that walks and, and get, tries to get better in that fourth season, and then walks gets the big contract, and then you slide Hainsey into guard. First of all, can can you can we expect something from Hainsey this season as a backup, or does he need time to develop his body and, and things like that? And then, what do you see as kind of the ceiling for him in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I I think if you know he has the opportunity to play due to injury, uh, that you can definitely expect to see some really nice flashes from him. You know, I think that while he gets his body more developed and you know gains more functional strength, that uh, you know. He'll have, I think we mentioned this on the draft show, kind of a similar trajectory as Alex Kappa. You know, he, he's very technically sound. Um, he, he, I think he's quicker than Alex Kappa is mm. um, in terms of how he moves laterally and off the ball. I think he's a little quicker, yeah. but very similar in terms of needing work on their body and to get stronger. So I think the trajectory would be similar to that. That's probably a good comparison for him. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he could play center, you know, I, he did at the senior bowl. And I, I think his skill set translates very well to the, to that position. And I think it was a good pick because it gives them a nice insurance policy in case they're, you know, specific. Well, I guess all, any three of the interior guys, if they go down, then mm-hmm. Hainsey could probably fill in, um, you know, cause those guys have obviously dealt with injury the last couple of years. And, you know, when one of those guys goes down, we saw, at least with Marpet's case, obviously the dramatic fall in the offense, you can't have that. That was kind of a weakness of the team. Right. So to get Hainsey kind of gives you a little insurance for mm-hmm. maybe if any of those three go down. So, mm-hmm. and I think that when, if that opportunity you know presented itself, that he would probably be, he wouldn't be as good as any of those guys. I think he'd be as close to Kappa as anybody, okay. but he could be a guy you could come, you know, you could insert into the lineup and maybe the, the drop-off wouldn't be as dramatic, you know, right. and you could win with, you know. So right. I think they upgraded that backup swing interior spot with him, and I think he has some pretty good upside to be like a, you know, average to above-average starter for, mm-hmm. for a while. Right, so, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think it took them a while to figure it out maybe, but, I mean, even Aaron Stinney being able to step in in the playoffs and yeah, and they still have Stinney. And, and they still have him. So, I mean, it yeah. definitely bodes well. They've said Hainsey could be a five-position player. Bruce Aarons has said twice that he could play left tackle even for them uh, in a pinch. He and has so, the technique. Yeah, it's but, but the switching sides is hard too. I mean, he's only on the right side at Notre Dame. Right. Maybe center, but then once you switch sides completely, right, that's a little bit trickier going to the left side. Right, for sure, for sure. That that so, would be the position I'd be least confident in because of that. And, you know, also because he just doesn't look like a left tackle. He doesn't have the dimension for it. He's it would be a very unusual sight to see a guy like Robert Hainsey do well at left tackle in the NFL. Um it would be. you know, but I think right tackle emergency situations and then swing interior, you know, right. that's how I kind of, yeah. yeah, that's the hope that he, if he can develop at center and even give them a backup snapping option, that's something that they're kind of searching for on this team right now. <laughs> Obviously Marpet can do it, but you'd love to move as few pieces as possible if something happens to Jensen. So that'll be a journey through the off season that we'll be tracking here at Peter Report off. Obviously, and in, in, in the growth of Hainsey for sure, being able to at least maybe step in on that right guard spot, being a natural kind of right sider after the last few years uh, from uh, Notre Dame, that he could maybe step into that seamlessly at least if, if Kappa does depart next offseason. So lots of good stuff, Brandon. I know I kept you over even, but just great getting your thoughts. Uh, people had lots of questions, and you answered them flawlessly as always. So appreciate your thoughts and bearing with me as we work through it all. I always Always great to to get your insight and analysis. Can you tell the people where they can find your work? You mentioned a little bit about what you'll be for established to run, but can you tell people where they can find your work if they're interested in more of these gems? Yeah, so establish the run is one place where I'm going to be doing offensive line rankings and defensive line rankings for pass rush, all 32 units in the league leading up to the year. So I think it's just establishtherun.com there. And then for my personal um, you know, kind of source of content is sub or trenchwarfare.substack.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where I do a lot of more kind of nuanced uh, discussion about offensive line play right now. I'm doing all these highlight tapes for guys across the league. I did Ryan Jensen and Shaq Mason, Graham Glasgow. I'm going to be doing um, Titus Howard, Elton Jenkins, and um, 
Cam Robinson next. And I know that's going to be an interesting discussion because those guys all have varying opinions. Uh, so yeah. Um, and I'm going to be doing that for a while and just have a bunch of content coming out yep. this off season that I'm excited about. So people can go there and check it out. Yeah. The best in the biz, no doubt about it, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you check uh, his stuff out for sure. Brandon's stuff is, is the best on the offensive line. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, man. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Anytime. Absolutely. Brandon Thorne, ladies and gentlemen, and some good thoughts and opinions and analysis from him as always. I love getting the insight on the offensive line play. It's a lot of fun. I also don't mind digging into some rankings uh, from other people and, and you know, throwing a few barbs around. I think that's part of the fun of football, right? We're going to talk a little trash here and there, and I'm sure they'll come back and have opinions about my things, but love those guys over at Pro Football Focus and the work they do for sure. Hey, if you're interested in a few more of our thoughts about some of these rankings going on at Pro Football Focus tonight on Locker Room, we'll be talking about some of those. If you don't know what Locker Room is, it's, it's a social audio app that is changing the way we talk sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about. React to sports news as it happens. Gather all your friends and watch parties for the biggest games. Rep your favorite teams and find your community. Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation with Locker Room. Locker Room is available for download. Then follow Pewter Report uh, on there and you'll get invited when we go live. We'll be live tonight uh, talking about uh, some of these PFF rankings and where they've got some of the Bucks players. Some of it's really good. I mean, honestly, some of it's some of it's good. It's spot on and stuff, I think. I mean, it's even some of the offensive rankings that we were talking about. But the Devin White thing, if you missed the beginning of the show, the Devin White thing definitely threw me off a little bit. So we've got lots going on today, obviously, in the Bucks realm of things. We've got a ton of stories up at PeterReport.com. Uh, Brady... All things story against Aaron Rodgers. That's going to be uh, an event in and of itself. We've got lots of stuff with the training camp. The Bucks are going to be allowed to get to training camp early, July 24th, if they want to. So we'll see what happens there. Um, what the salary cap for next year going up to 208 mil uh, as as the ceiling for next year, and I think it's pretty likely to get to 208 mil. So the salary cap not only this year, but that's a strong indication. The next season or 2023, that off season will be uh, again another big bump. Uh, again, if you're a team that's going to push money down the road right now, I mean, that it bodes very well for you. And Bucks obviously just did a lot of that. So huge indication that the Bucks, more indication, not that we needed more, but their cap situation is going to be just fine. They've about, projected about 183 million, I think, for next year right now. Obviously, Godwin, Carlton Davis, Ryan Jensen among some of the biggest names. And we'll see how the year goes and evaluate other guys. But a lot of free agents still lined up. But tomorrow on the show, we're going to be able to talk about and get into all that and kind of give you a little, okay, with 208 mil and knowing that that's probably going to be where the cap is, what are we looking at with the Bucks this offseason, things like that. So we'll be able to discuss some of that with you all tomorrow to wrap up the week, then more great stuff ahead next week as the Bucks are back for another day of OTAs. We'll have that covered as well. Then mandatory minicamp the week after that. More guests lined up to come on the show and, and give you great insight as they always do. Um, so appreciate y'all appreciate y'all tuning in and jumping in with us for Brandon Thord. I'm John Ledyard. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the pewter report podcast out.